You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. We're so excited about going to two morning services. And as Steve said, the, the real heart of it is for us is, is about people. You know, it's, it's great opening a building, and, but the building is, is it's not for show. It's, if, it's to be used. And we recognize that we, we couldn't stay where we were. We couldn't stay simply rushing people in and rushing people out. And so the heart is really to create some space. Uh, and so we're going to be going to two morning services, as Steve said, 9 and 11. The 5 p.m., don't worry, it's unchanged. We're still going to have a 5 p.m., don't worry. Uh, and so we're just really excited that uh, we get to create some space for people to hang out, connect, and really just do life together. And not only that, not only are we going to two morning services at 9 and 11, on the 13th, we're also opening up our whole new side. I know, exciting. Uh, we're going to have the cafe opening, the kids' programs, the mother's room, all the different spaces. And so we want to invite you out to our housewarming. Bring yourself, bring everyone you know. Uh, we're going to have a good time. There's going to be coffee, free coffee all day. And uh, we're just going to have a good time, just celebrate uh, finally being able to open that side. And uh, we know that it's been a bit disjointed. It's been a bit chaotic, um, but we're getting there. Finally, we get an opening date and it's going to be amazing. Uh, we also have a ribbon cutting. So at 8.15 in the morning, like, you know, we're like a big celebration with the building opening. We're going to do a, a really cool ribbon opening. And so I want to invite you to come on out to that. It's going to be a good time. We're going to get out in the car park. And uh, man, we're just so excited. We're so ex- Have I said that before? Have I said that I'm excited? Um, we're excited to be opening the new building. So come on out on the 13th, 9 and 11, and then 5 p.m. is unchanged. But I get, to, I get to carry on our culture shift series, as Pastor Beck said. Uh, and uh, I think this has been such a good series, such a great series, and I feel like God's really uh, uh, spoken through it. Um, and culture, you know, culture is everywhere. Uh, there's a culture, right, that represents a nation. Uh, you can have a culture uh, within a team or within a workplace or within an environment, uh, within, uh, within a church. But more specifically, uh, when, I, when we talk, when I talk, sorry, tonight about culture, I'm, I'm referring to uh, specifically worldly culture, right? The, the kind of uh, dominant uh, cultural narrative that we find in the world in opposition to or in contrast to kingdom culture. So, so, so Christian culture, God's culture, and I'm, I'm kind of going to bat those two uh, around and kind of look at how they, they kind of, um, kind of in, are sometimes in opposition to each other. Uh, culture is, is like a set of behaviors. It's, a, it's ways of doing things. It's, it's values, but sometimes they uh, are held without even realizing it. It kind of happens without even recognizing it. Culture is kind of so ingrained into society and culture that you kind of flow with it. But, but here's the thing. I think you either set culture or you reflect culture, right? You, you can't be culture negative or, or neutral. So you can't be culture neutral. You can't, you, you either set culture or you simply reflect the culture that you're part of. Uh, and I think that God has called us to be people who set culture. God has called us to be people who reflect His culture, and when we come into a culture that is, is anti-God, we, we are there to set culture, to change culture, to shift culture. You with me tonight? I believe that God has called us to be people who make a difference, people who impact our world. Let me pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that, God, you've called us to be people who shift culture. You've called us to be people who change and, and, and set culture, people who reflect your culture. 
And I just pray, God, that as we look and we dive into your word tonight, God, would you show us the things that we can apply? Would you show us the things that we can learn? God, would you help us to make it more about you, God, and less about us? As John the Baptist said, we must become less and less, and you must become greater and greater. And that's my prayer tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I think we find ourselves, right, today in a culture that is very much anti-church, very much anti-God, very much anti-religion. Um, and it's our challenge is like, how do we live and be true to our faith, right? Be true to our God, but yet still treat people with love, still treat people with grace, still treat people with respect, uh, but still stay true to our faith. And, and I think that's the challenge for us, right? Uh, that we, we love all those we come into contact with. We live in a world that's constantly changing, right? Cultures are changing, ideas are changing. But the one thing that stays true, the one thing that stays consistent, the, way, the one thing that stays the same is God's Word, right? God's Word doesn't change, and so we build our life on God's Word. The culture that I want to kind of tackle today is, is by no means a new culture. It's by no means a culture that's modern. I think, if anything, I think it's a culture that's always been there. I think it's, I want to tackle tonight the culture of self, the culture of I, the culture of being focused on self. Because I think we live in a world, right, that is obsessed with self, with, uh, with self-indulgence, with, with self-promotion, with self-interest. It's me, 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 I, 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 right? We live in a world that's so focused on self. But I think we're designed not to live focused on self, but designed focused on God. If I were to sum it up in a phrase, I'd say that the world says, I am, but the kingdom says he is. There's a shift of focus from I am to he is. And let's be honest, from, from time to time, or maybe all the time, we've kind of made it about ourselves. Anybody ever been there? I don't know, I've been there. I've made it about me. Uh, we, we've all kind of fell, fallen into the trap of, of, of making it about ourselves. And even more so, I feel like the world will tell you to make it about yourself. Right? The world will tell you in order to get, be successful, in order to be happy, to focus on self. The world glorifies self-indulgence. The world glorifies individual achievement, building your own kingdom, being your own boss, right? living your own truth. Yeah, we've all heard those phrases, doing things your way, caring about your own appearance, about your own self-interest, me, 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 I, I, I. You know, the truth is that we're not actually designed to live that way. We're not actually designed to live that way. We're not actually designed to be the hero of our own story. We're not actually designed to live a life that is focused on ourselves. And there's a great story in the Bible uh, where this kind of happens, where there's a guy who kind of makes life about himself. In fact, he loves himself so much that he, in his kingdom, he erects a massive statue and has all the people bowing down to himself. And uh, I want to look at this story and, and look at a few lessons and, uh, and, and maybe just maybe we'll maybe look at the story and kind of see a little bit of ourselves in there. And I think maybe sometimes it's easier to kind of distance ourselves and look at, a, look at like a, a kind of story and be like, oh, actually I can see myself there and that, that kind of hurts. <laughs> you know what I mean? You ready to dive in today? Uh, before we jump in, I want to I give you a little bit of backstory because I, I think a bit of backstory is going to kind of help us set the scene and understand where we're at. So uh, we're looking at the, the city or the kingdom, the, the city of Babylon, which is, which is in with, within the, the kind of kingdom of Babylon. And, and the people right now, are, they're, they're living in exile. Uh, 
the kingdom of Babylon has, has come and conquered um, Jerusalem, and the people of Israel have been, have been taken into captivity. They're living in exile, and they, they find themselves in a culture that is completely anti-God. Not anti the God of the Bible. They've kind of got their own gods, even more so. that They've kind of worshipped the king in some ways, uh, which I think is very much the culture we find ourselves in today, right? Uh, thank you, Jeremy. A culture that is anti-God. Uh, even, even, even some people would refer to themselves as gods, right? We, that's the culture that we live in. And we're going to look at a guy called King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that's a really long name, and someone's going to call him King Neb for short, okay? Just really keep this simple for myself. Um, and so this is from the book of Daniel, and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar was actually a real historical figure, okay? He, was, he really lived, um, he was actually the longest reigning and most powerful monarch of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, uh, with the capital city of Babylon, uh, being Babylon. Uh, and it's important to note that while Babylon was a historical city, um, this guy's doing it. Doing, he's a gem. Look at him. He's got like four cups of water, all for his mates. Shout out to you, man. Sorry, I'm easily distracted. It's important that, that you know, while Babylon was a historical city, um, it was, it's also, when we look through the Bible, we see Babylon referenced all through the Bible, and it's often used as a way, as a way to contrast God's kingdom. It's used as a way to represent uh, the kind of antithesis of, of God's kingdom and God's rule. Now, actually, one definition of the word Babylon uh, means a city devoted to materialism and sensual pleasure. And so we see the city. So we're going to jump in at, at Daniel chapter 4, and the full text is going to be in your notes if you want to grab that out on your app, and some of it's going to be on the screen, but I'm going to kind of skim through, okay? I'm going to kind of jump around, uh, let you know what's going on here. So it says this. It says, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, King Neb. He says, I, Neb, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, and I had dream that made me afraid. I was lying in bed, and the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And so I commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be brought before me. And so he brings, brings all the wise men. None of them can interpret this dream. And eventually he brings this guy called Daniel. Now you might have heard of Daniel before. He was the guy that was in the lion's den and all those kind of bits and pieces. So, so Daniel is brought in and he's actually interpreted the dream before. And so he, he brings him in. Uh, and so we, we see this king here. And it's interesting what it says is that he was, he was contented, right? He was content without God. Uh, he was prosperous. He, he was proud of his own achievements, of, of everything that he'd done. He'd kind of sat in his kingdom and looked like, man, look how good I am. Um, and then he has this dream that kind of disturbs him. And so the dream he has is he has this dream of this massive tree. This tree was, was massive. It was fruitful. It stretched across the, the whole um, nation of Babylon. And, and then the tree is cut down with only its root remaining. And, and he has this dream that, that kind of disturbs him. And so Daniel comes and brings an interpretation. You've got to remember, like, it takes a lot of courage for, for Daniel to bring this interpretation because back then it was kind of different. Like the employment arrangement was kind of different. You know, if you do a bad job, you might have to get, you know, a few verbal notices, written notices, then get fired. In those days, you just kind of got your head chopped off, right? A little bit different, you know? Uh, and so Daniel brings this. He says, he says this. It says, your majesty, you are the tree. Like, what a great start, right? 
You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to, distant, to, to the distant parts of the earth. And it goes on to say, This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that he's issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from the people, and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. This is, this is great. This is going good, isn't it? Seven times... <clears throat> I told you it was growing great. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored, but only once you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. I love this. It sounds so formal. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by, be, by being kind to the oppressed. And it may be then that your prosperity will continue. This is not, like how many know this is not the most easy message to deliver, right? This is a, this is a really hard message. And so Daniel brings this message that essentially the, the most powerful man, the most powerful king, like with this massive empire, he's like, you're going to be driven wild and live with wild animals. You're going to go crazy. You're going to be eating grass. Like you're going to be living, you know, like with no shelter um, until you eventually recognize that God is king, right? That God rules. Like this is pretty massive. Um, and in fact, the, the, the word Babel um, you might have heard there's a story in the Bible of the Tower of Babel. The actual word Babel literally means confusion. And so the word Babylon is derived from Babel, which means confusion. It's a, it's a derived or, or a deranged way of thinking. How many know that when we follow a way that isn't God's way, it begins to lead to confusion? Uh, it begins to lead to a deranged way of thinking, and, and that, that chaos that is on the inside eventually gets manifested or eventually starts to show on the outside. And how many know that, that King Neb probably had a bit of a stressful life, right? He, he's like the most powerful person in the world. I'm sure there was a long line of people that were waiting to take his place, Right? He, he must have been constantly worried about people poisoning him, people trying to kill him, you know, people sneaking at night. Like, I'm sure that, that there would have been a little bit of paranoia, like a little bit of stress, a little bit of worry about trying to protect all that he had created, right? All that he had made. And, and so this deranged way of thinking eventually produces this chaos in his world. Let's continue in verse 28. It says, The dream was fulfilled. All this happened to King Neb, and 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, this is what he says, this is what he says, is this not the great Babylon that I have built? Wow. As the royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. This guy like really liked himself, didn't he? Like he was, he was really up himself. Uh, and then it says, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you. And, 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 and then we see um, what was prophesied begin to take place. He's driven uh, from the people. He starts to live with wild animals. He's eating grass. And, um, and then it says that, the, that prophecy was immediately fulfilled. But then there's a shift. There's a shift that comes later on. We're going to jump to verse 34. It says this, At the end of that time, I, Neb, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Another version says that my reason was restored. 
right? His sound thinking is restored. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified Him who His dominion is, a, is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing, and he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand. He goes on to say, At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became greater, even greater than before. Now it says, Now I, King Neb, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This, like, this is a big shift, right? Like, this is a big change. From this guy who's standing on his rooftop to saying, man, like, I'm the man, you know, like, all I built, this is for my glory and my majesty, like, I'm the man. Now he, all of a sudden, there's a shift. There's a shift of focus from himself to God. And things change. And, and I think there's some things that I want to pull out, some things, some lessons that I think we can learn. And the first kind of thing that, that stands out to me is, is that he exalted God. He exalted God. In other words, he lifted God up. The first thing he does is, is he puts God back in his rightful place. Because how many know when you elevate something, it also means that you have to pull something else down? As he elevated himself, he also pulled God down. And, and now as he elevates God, he's got to shift himself down. He recognizes that God is sovereign, that is, his dominion is eternal. And he would have known so well that there's kingdoms that rise and kingdoms that fall, but he recognizes that actually God's kingdom never falls, that God's reign is eternal. He recognizes that in comparison to God, every amazing and every massive empire is like nothing. It's like a speck of dust. There's this, there's this shift in perspective where he puts God back in his right place. Are you with me? Remember he said, Is this not the great Babylon that I have built as, the royal, as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? But then the shift comes. It says that as he looks to heaven, as he raised his eyes to heaven, as he focused on God, his sanity is restored. Pretty amazing, right? He removed his focus from himself his own achievements, his own perceived greatness, and he focuses on God. Here's a question you can ask yourself. When things go wrong, where do you focus? When things go wrong, where do you focus? Do you focus on yourself? Do you focus on the problem? Do you focus on the issue? Do you focus on maybe who's to blame, or do you focus on God? Do you, do you shift your focus to God who can actually help you or do you kind of scramble and try and fix it yourself? Or do you, try, do you make the problem massive? Do you exalt the problem or do you exalt God? When things go wrong, where do you turn? Where do you focus? The second thing I noticed is that he, he acknowledged God. Here's the thing. I think it's one thing to understand who God is and it's another to recognize what he does. Let me explain, because I think you can believe that God is almighty. I think you can believe that God is all-powerful, yet you can still at the same time believe that everything you have, you've done yourself. Are you with me? You can believe that God's almighty, but believe that everything you have is because of your own doing. 
Here's the, king, the king's words are interesting. He says, He does as he pleases with the power of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, there's the acknowledgement here that God, that everything we have is from God. That God does as he wants. Another verse says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Again, in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, I love this. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as if it were not, as if it were not a gift? I love that. If everything that you have is from God, then like, who are you to boast? Why boast as if God hasn't given it to you? Why, why boast as if you've done it yourself? You see, we need to not only exalt Him, but we also need to acknowledge Him. Acknowledge that where we are, that what we have is from God. It's given to us from God. It's a gift. It's a gift from Him. Here's a question you can ask yourself. Where do I need to acknowledge His blessing in my life? Where do I need to acknowledge his blessing in my life? You see, sometimes we can kind of acknowledge his blessing in a whole bunch of areas, and then some kind of areas we kind of keep the glory for ourselves. But the question is, where do we need to acknowledge his blessing in our life? I wrote this third point down like this. I wrote down that he humbles himself. But in actual fact, when you read the story, actually the opposite is true. That God humbles him, Right? He never actually humbles himself. God actually humbles in him, humbles him. And how many know that it's way easier to humble yourself than have God humble you? Like, it's way better that way around, right? It works a lot better when, when we humble ourselves. I love what it says in James 14. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see, we either, we, we, we either humble ourselves and allow God to elevate us, or, or the opposite is true. Now, I've always believed that, that where I am, not always, since I've known God, I've always believed that what I have is from Him, that He's brought me here, and in the same way, He can de-elevate me. I don't know what the what, humble, I guess, is the right word, isn't it? De-elevate is like humble. If God has elevated me and God has opened the door and God has given me opportunities, then, then the same is true, that he can, also, he can also humble me. And I think it's a lot easier to live that way. It's a lot easier that, to let God elevate you than try and elevate yourself, right? That to kind of scrape up the ladder of success. And here's, here's a question you can ask yourself. Are there areas of my life where I've become prideful? Are there areas of my life where I've become prideful? Are there areas that I need to, that I need to humble myself? You know what's interesting is, and the team can come up now as I begins to close and give you guys hope that we're going to finish soon. It goes on to say that, that his kingdom was restored, but not only that, that his kingdom was greater than it was before, which is kind of interesting to me. And I think the truth is, I think the truth is that God wants to build something great on each of our lives. God wants to use us to build something great, but the, the, the reality is, is, as with any building, you can only build as as tall or as high or as great as the foundation, right? And the question is, is as, are you exalting God? And if you're exalting God and as He lifts you up, are you still exalting Him? Th these are the things that build the foundation. 
our ability to exalt Him and our ability to humble ourselves and our ability to acknowledge Him. And as we do that, He can build something great in our life. God wants to do something great in all of your lives. He wants to build something great, but He can only build that on the foundation that you yourself lay. God can't build that foundation for us. God can't make us exalt Him. He can't make us acknowledge Him. He can't, he can't humble us. That's so different. But He wants to build something great. I think there's, there's two ways to climb the ladder of promotion. The, the first is when we kind of claw our way up, right? We step on everybody else around us. We kind of push ourselves ahead and promote ourselves and do whatever we can to get to the top. Or we can simply allow God to elevate us. We can simply be faithful to God. We can simply allow Him to open the door. I think it's very easy for us to get, to get sucked into the worldly culture of me, 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 I, I, I. Right? But it, you, know, you know what? Because it seems faster. It seems easier. We look at everybody else around us that's doing it that way and they're getting ahead and they're getting promotions and we can begin to think that that's the way to do it. But let's not be fooled, right? Actually, God's way is the only way. God's way is the best way. God's way is, is the way that as we submit ourselves to, to Him, He can elevate us. We, we don't have to worry. We don't have to stress. When things are in God's control, it's a lot easier. You don't have to worry about all the details. You don't have to stress. You don't have to worry about trying to climb the ladder of success. You can simply trust God and be. We can simply allow Him to work in our lives. Come on, why don't we be a people who, who choose a God-first life? You know, the, the Bible says that we should uh, take up our cross daily and deny ourselves. Right? That's what it means to follow Jesus. Why don't we be a people who would choose God first? A people who would choose to not focus on ourselves, not choose to build our life around ourselves, but choose to focus on Him. And how many know that as we begin to do that, man, God's going to do something great with our lives. God's going to use us to, to make a difference. God's going to use us to, to change our world. You know where that starts? That, that starts by laying our life down. It starts by surrendering. It, start, it starts by saying, man, God, I want to choose to follow you. And uh, maybe you're here tonight and you've made, never made that decision to follow Jesus. You, you've never made that decision to truly say, I, I'm done with living my own way. Jesus, I want to live your way. That's, that's essentially what it is. That's essentially the, the, the gospel message or the message of Jesus is, is, is turning from the way that we were living and turning towards Him. Saying, I, I can't figure it out myself. Jesus, would you help me? To, I, I know I messed up and made mistakes. Would you forgive me? It's about choosing to follow Jesus. And it's as simple as simply starting a conversation with Him. And so if that's you tonight and you, you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to, to start a conversation with Him. Is that cool? Can I just ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads out of respect for that moment? And I'm going to pray a really simple prayer. And, and if, if that's you, if, if, you never, if you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never asked Jesus to come into you, why don't you pray this prayer along with me? Say these words. Say, say thank you, Jesus, 
for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you've forgiven my sin. Today, would you come into my world? Would you make me new? I choose, Jesus, to follow you. I lay aside my focus on self, and I focus my life on you. Today, Jesus, I choose to follow you. And while eyes are still closed and heads are still bowed, I want to invite you. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to pray for you, but I want to know who I'm praying for. So I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Really brave. I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I want to ask you to pop your hand up nice and high. And once you do that, I'll see it. I'll acknowledge you and you can put your hand back down. And I'd love to pray for you. Here you go. Nice and brave. One, two, three. Hands going up now saying, I prayed that prayer. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Awesome. Thank you. I see the hand. Awesome. My right hand side, I see their hand. Thank you. Anybody else tonight that's saying yes to Jesus? God, I thank you for those people tonight, God, that have chosen to lay down their own lives and follow you. God, I pray your blessing on them. I pray your hand on them. I pray for every single, uh, every other person as well, myself included. God, would you help us, God, to lay down our own lives, God, and to follow you. God, help us each day to choose to, to shift our eyes from self and shift our eyes to you, God. Help us to be people, God, who live for you, God, who exalt you, God, who acknowledge you, God, and humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you may raise us up. And I thank you, God, that as we do that, as we live for you, God, you're going to do something amazing, God, in this city, in this nation. We pray this, God, in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and celebrate those people tonight? Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Center podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancenter.org.nz.